in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. Today, I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Chad Robinson. How are you doing, Chad? I'm doing fine today, Russell. How are you? I'm great. Uh, I, w- I want to bring somebody on the show. Uh, I think we need to bring somebody that we're familiar with. Isn't that a good idea? It's a great idea, especially for lazy people that don't want to find new guests. Is there anybody right around that we could bring on the show, Chad? I think my wife's around. Okay. Uh, go get her. Oh, hold on, hold on. Hey, Sarah. What? I need you for a podcast. Last second. I didn't do my homework. <laughs> Sarah, welcome to the Retro Movie Roundtable. <laughs> Thanks. Hi. So, word on the street is, you like movies. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> all the neighbors are... All the neighbors are saying it. So, what is the last movie you saw? Actually, the last movie I saw was Cars with my daughter. We and, just we decided she needed to see it because she's really into trains and cars and everything. So, did it get a good review? She loved it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I I'd seen it before, but yeah, she was into it. I would think so, and. What is a movie that you love that you look forward to showing your daughter at some point, maybe as she gets older? Well, I love Beating the Beast. I've already shown it to her because I was forced into it. She was being babysat by somebody and they showed her the beginning of it. And I had to show her the rest of it before somebody else did. So... Uh, that was the one I was the most excited about, but just any Disney movie in general. Um, I'm excited to show her the whole series. And Chad? I think Lion King, the animated version, let me be clear. Okay. Okay. So what is your favorite movie villain, Sarah? I think I'd have to go to Lion King and say Scar just because, yeah, he's pretty good. Be prepared. I always find it disturbing that Chad roots for Scar and feels like Simba is an entitled brat who shouldn't be, uh, like, you said Scar earned the throne. What What is your spiel on this again? He did. He totally earned the throne. And then he just gets dethroned for an unfortunate drought. Simba had nothing to do with it. An unusual take on The Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> he, he pulls for all the villains. Yeah, I don't know. For, for me, my uh, I may have mentioned this on a previous episode, but the greatest villain of movie history for me is definitely the Wicked Witch of the West. Darth Vader? Uh, he, he's up there. He's up there. Sarah, though, what was the first movie uh, you remember seeing in a movie theater? So the first one I remember, I know there were some before this, but the first one I distinctly remember was the re-release of Star Wars. 
My dad decided that he needed his three daughters to go see this wonderful film, and my sister fell asleep halfway through. Well, it sounds like good parenting. I agree. I agree. (laughs) Except for the whole letting your kid fall asleep part. Like, poke them awake. I'm not sure I can look away from the screen and know if anybody's asleep or not. That's the problem. Yeah, if it was the Death Star run, that's eyes on screen time. (laughs) Can't help you. I can lead you to water, but I cannot make you drink. (laughs) So what movie are we going to do today, Chad? Today we're going to do 2000's The Emperor's New Groove. Not Stella got her groove back? Oh, that would be a very different, very interesting take on this. Okay. We're going to do how Cusco got it, or Cusco got his uh, groove back. Uh, So... Anyway, this is this movie comes out in the year 2000, as Chad mentioned. It grosses $89.3 million, grossing only $169.3 million internationally. So it was made for a budget of $100 million. So that's not a huge margin by Disney standards. So the opening weekend it came out, it only came in fourth place because it had to go up against some tough competition. It went up against uh, What Women Want, Dude, Where's My Car, and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And that was the number one movie that year, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. All great movies, and also Dude, Where's My Car? We've been through this before. It's a great movie. Um, anyway, it found com- substantially larger success once it goes to the home release market, and it sells 6 million VHS units, amounting to another $89 million in revenue. So it saves face through the uh, second run or through the home sales, which is, which is good for them. And uh, they place on the box office at 26th on the year, so it's not too shabby, uh, coming behind Space Cowboys and coming just ahead of Scream 3. And as I mentioned, How the Grinch Stole Christmas was the number one movie on the year. IMDb gives us a 7.4. Rotten Tomatoes critics give this 85%. The audience score gives it 83%, so pretty close to agreeing on that one. And it gets nominated for an Academy Award for Best Song for My Funny Friend, and Me, performed by Sting. Uh, Things Have Changed by Bob Dylan from Wonder Boys beats it out at the Oscars, but uh, still a f- good way to end a movie. So, Sarah, why don't yes. you start us off here? What What is your background with this movie? Have you seen it before? What was your first time? Um, so I have seen it before. Um, I've seen most Disney films multiple, multiple times. Uh, the first time probably would have been maybe a year or two after release, so I would have been high school, early college. I don't remember much about it, honestly. So I remembered it being all right, which Chad thinks that that's most of my reviews of everything. So um, so I really didn't have a lot of expectations going into seeing it again. I kind of wanted to refresh the viewing again. Has it been a while? Yeah, it had been a while. Chad, how about you? Have you seen The Emperor's New Groove before? I'd never seen the full thing. I've seen parts of it. Really? Yeah, I know. Cult classic and everything. I knew a lot of people that really pushed this movie, but for whatever reason, just never finished it. Wow. Wow. Disney's big in this household, so I'm I'm just surprised that... This This was never a big hit. It was all about the classics. The Lion Kings, the Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, Aladdins, things like that. But yeah, um... It was made during this weird period for Disney where they were just kind of floundering, unfortunately. They had four really non-starters as hits. So I was like, eh, I like Hercules out of that period. I, I do really enjoy that one. Yeah, that gets a math from Sarah, too. <laughs> Most of the public 
agrees with Sarah, but I'm with you on this one, Chad. Yeah. Hercules is underrated. Uh, Greek mythology, you've got me. <laughs> but llamas. Yeah, I like llamas, sure. Okay, okay. And uh, for me, I didn't see The Emperor's New Groove when it came out. I didn't see it even right away. I probably waited a whole another five, six years. And when I first saw it, I was on vacation in the Poconos with my parents and my sister and uh, my niece, uh, who was younger at the time. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, she, she would have been young still. Anyway, we watched The Emperor's New Groove. And I had not seen it before, and I was not going into this with arms wide open. I was kind of like, I don't really want to see this. And I remember seeing trailers for it and thinking, I'm, I'm not invested in this. It doesn't, it doesn't hook me. And I had all my expectations changed because it was way better than I thought. It was way funnier than I thought. I didn't expect that for a Disney movie to be so Looney Tunes-like. I figured David Spade would be right up your alley. I figured you'd be excited. I probably actually didn't know David Spade was in it initially, so that was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. So, yeah, some great voice work. and So I came out of it thinking, wow, this is really good. And I didn't see it for a long time afterwards, but it's been in the back of my mind for a while and coming back to it now comes back and reassures everything that I thought before. Of, this is really unique. As you mentioned, this is an unusual phase of Disney. We didn't get a lot of movies like it. We didn't get a lot of movies before it like it or after it like it. So I, I, I like how unique it is. There's just, I wish there had been a few more on along this tone. Yeah, that's... Everybody's got their opinion. <laughs> well, the box office, the box office did not necessarily cooperate with my opinion. So at any rate, we want to make sure that we let everybody know there's going to be spoilers that lie ahead. So if you haven't seen The Emperor's New Groove, make sure that you go back, watch it before continuing with this podcast. Or if you're not spoiler adverse, then by all means, keep listening. We'll be back after these messages. Hi there and good evening. It's me, your two term 43rd president of the United States of America, George W. Bush. But you can call me W. Now that I'm not president anymore and not responsible to bring liberty to the rest of the world, people like me more now than ever. I made a painting of my dog and people liked it. Laura and I go to every Texas Rangers home game. Go Rangers. I'm watching the full catalog of SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> it's funny because his pants are square. Laura and I also watch a lot of movies. After we watch a movie, we enjoy listening to our very favorite podcast, the Retro Movie Roundtable. America. Join me in going to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and give the Retro Movie Roundtable a five-star review and comment. Tell them George sent you. Like the show on Facebook. Email RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. Hey, America, have I ever led you wrong? <laughs> Gotta get back to my cold beer and my fishing rod. Take it easy, America. And we're back. As mentioned before, there will be spoilers that lie ahead, so beware. Sarah? For those who haven't seen The Emperor's New Groove since the year 2000, do you want to refresh people's memory with what happens? So, Cusco, Cusco, Cusco is a self-absorbed emperor who has no care for what others want or need. After a jazzy opening song, we are introduced to Yzma, Cusco's advisor, and Kronk, her dim-witted assistant. Yzma is obviously trying to take power from Cusco, and Cusco promptly fires her along with Kronk. Shortly after this scene, we meet Pacha, who has been summoned to take the place to speak with the emperor. Pacha assumes he is being summoned to talk about his community, 
But instead, Cusco discloses he will be taking over the land where Pacha's family home is for his summer getaway, complete with a water slide. Pacha returns home, very upset. Cusco is invited to dinner by Yzma. Kronk is cooking. There she plans to poison Cusco, but due to Kronk's mistake, he instead turns him into a llama. She orders Kronk to kill the llama. Kronk fails to do so, and Cusco ends up at Pacha's house. Here, Cusco realizes he is a llama and needs to get the antidote from Yzma's lair. Pacha tries to save his home by agreeing to help Cusco get home. Yzma and Kronk are on their tails. Hilarity ensues, including a pretty funny restaurant scene. Eventually, all make it back to the palace and con- all converge in the lab, attempting to either kill Cusco or cure him. Eventually, Yzma is a cat and Cusco is cured. He also realizes the error of his ways and agrees not to build Kustopia on Pacha's land. That was kind of him to do that. Well done, well done. So, a lot of Disney movies come from long-standing fairy tales or literary works. This one, again, starts to break the mold. And it's interesting that it does that. Uh, there's no connection between The Emperor's New Clothes by Hans Christian Andersen, uh, which is honestly one of the things that I thought it would. I thought New Groove might be a f- fun, jazzy way for kids to jazz up that title, but turns out nothing to do with that whatsoever. Uh, Sarah, as a story, is this a good story? Yeah, it it kind of tells the story of, you know, you've got to look out for others more so than yourself and, you know, look outside your own little world. And so, you know, for their target audience, it's, it's a great story. And the way that they weave the characters throughout, I think it is. Chad, is this a story you would want to read at bedtime to your little girl? I already read the Llama Llama books. Oh, really? So, yes, Llama Llama loves to read and Llama Llama Jingle Bells, so this would fit right in. <laughs> Llama Llama wants to build a water slide. Okay, yeah. It, he wants to gentrify the whole neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, this was a weird one, though, because it, it almost feels more like a sitcom than these traditional epic Disney movies. Well, they brought in some sitcom stars, so, I mean, maybe that's, to some degree, you, you bring in David Spade, John Goodman, and uh, Patrick Warburton as well. Uh, these are people who cut their teeth on sitcoms as well, and so the sensibility of humor here is a lot different. It's also different in that uh, the, the tone of it's different. Sarah, again, most Disney movies hit you with a little something hard. I'm, I mean, obviously, Bambi... Bambi's one of the tougher ones, but they usually right. do hit you with a little more hardship in this one. Talk about how you're you're way more versed with the body of Disney work than, <laughs> than almost anybody I know. So talk about how this one is tone, tonally different. Well, I, I think Disney was looking for a change in that period. Like Chad said, they had a lot of non-hits. Though I think they were trying for a while to reenact what had worked so successfully with Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid and Lion King that they wanted to completely do a 180. And um, so I think that's why they went that direction. And I I think it was a nice change in tone. I'm trying to remember the timing of Pixar around that time too. And it kind of went in the same vein of kind of adding more humor as opposed to some of the more traditional. I, I enjoyed that. 
I, I like something different every time. Yeah. And they Disney was on fire coming off of the early part of the 90s. Right. And I think they became accustomed to high, high hit levels of hit. success. Yeah. Because they did Little Mermaid, followed by Beauty and the Beast, followed by Aladdin, then mm-hmm. Lion King. Right. right. They're riding on top of the world. And then Hunchback and Pocahontas. I yeah. might, might Pocahontas have wasn't that bad. It didn't do well. It didn't. And but... Mulan also is part of this era yeah. as well. And then Hercules as yeah. well. Uh, as part of this era. And so I think Disney is getting frustrated as they watch computer mm-hmm. uh, movies oh, like, like Toy Story are yeah. just blowing up and going through the roof. And in a way, we're in the last steps of hand-drawn animation. Correct me if I'm wrong. It, this is this is the last summer big Disney feature before Dinosaur, right? And Dinosaur is animated, like I, computer, right? I think Dinosaur actually ended up releasing... Right before, maybe I read that wrong, but we'll they were right around the same time. Yeah, Lilo and Stitch, I know, wound up kind of being their last gasp for a while of like, will this succeed as a format or not? And thankfully, one of my favorite movies, it did, it did decently well, and it got us Princess and the Frog. But that was a throwback at that point, like computer animation, yeah. completely. Yeah. Oh yeah, I guess taken over. Lilo and Stitch hadn't come out yet. No. So that, that one's still to come. So this is not the last hand-drawn one, but it is, it's late. Yes. Oh, in, definitely. In that zone. Yeah, they were shifting gears at this point. Does that make you sad, Sarah? Because at this point, I thought we were always going to have hand-drawn and computer-rendered cartoon movies. What's your take on the Pixar animated side or the computer animated side versus the hand-drawn Disney that we grew up with and or our parents grew up with i love the hand-drawn i think i think they're works of art and you're never going to be able to get that back the expectation nowadays is to have that computer animated and that perfection of it and i'm sure that that's probably cheaper than having those animators hand draw all of those images so it's probably more economical for them to do it with the new technology do I miss some of the hand drawings? Well, yeah, of course, but, you know, times change. Question, are we being nostalgic and saying I like the craft of the the human touch or new generation born into the world of computers and stuff? Does your daughter respond better to computer animated movies or the same, would you say? It just depends on the topic. Like, she liked cars, but that's just because it had race cars in it. She loves Paw Patrol. It has dogs, and that's... that's But if you showed her, like, 101 Dalmatians, which also has dogs in it, is that going to... They don't drive cars, so that's a a (laughs) tough sell. Okay. Yeah, we we honestly haven't shown her a lot of the hand-drawn ones. Um, Beauty and the Beast, we have shown her. Princess and the Frog, she liked a lot. Yeah, a lot of the older ones tend to have some darker themes, and so we've kind of avoided introducing those yet they will be coming but uh, i kind of am doing the little more lighthearted, which tend to be some of the more recent items which are computer computer animated lilo and stitch is pretty safe there's nothing dark that happens it's true there's some weighty real world moments in that though yeah i think it's also different again there's this is just a very different era for disney i think they've lost their way i mean i think they knew they had a formula and it was really working for them and they got off track and they were taken aback and they were just 
I think, reassessing here as they go into the new millennium. What do people want at this point? And I think they ultimately, Pixar filled that gap for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think they, they moved to more focus on maybe not the detail of the drawings, but moved to focus of detail of the writing and, and that sort of thing. And so it, it's just different. Yeah. As we go forward, we see that the Pixar movies in particular put a great deal of focus on two-level entertainment, meaning that you're going to appreciate it as an adult. And I think this is fun for adults, but not quite on the touching, feely, kind of the full ride that Pixar seems to achieve. In fact, I might even say adults sometimes take away a whole other level of the movie that kids may not even appreciate now. Yeah, and I don't think Emperor's New Groove really achieves that but i i do agree like the toy story and up and those sorts of things there there is a story that the children can follow along and you know very baseline get it but they don't watching it 10 years later as an adult or whatever you're gonna get a totally different meaning out of it which um yeah that's why you know like the writing is just different than it was in that era Absolutely. But what Emperor's New Groove does get right, I think maybe is a SpongeBob SquarePants kind of in a like a good comparison where like adult parents don't hate watching SpongeBob, which is probably why it's still on the air, versus a lot of cartoons where it's only, only, only for little kids. This one has that I would call it like a Looney Tunes sensibility yeah. of of Yeah, for sure. Where I am an adult. I can appreciate it. I'm going to, I'll laugh. It doesn't make me think real hard. I don't think SpongeBob is making anybody really <laughs> reinvestigate like life, life lessons and yeah, nobody's going to tear up at SpongeBob. Although Squidward's pretty mean to him sometimes. Yeah, when Mr. Krabs didn't get his money, I cried a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, so I think, I think this is hitting that degree there. Chad, why don't you give us a rundown through the cast here before we continue? Absolutely. I've already mentioned David Spade. He plays the title character, which is Emperor Cusco. Uh, also, the Llama Cusco. might recognize him from movies like Tommy Boy or Black Sheep. He's always this weaselly character. Does a great job at it. Uh, there's John Goodman, who plays the kind villager, Pacha. Uh, John Goodman from Roseanne. Eartha Kitt plays Yzma, who is Cusco's ex-advisor. She's fired... This was Catwoman in the Adam West, uh, not Julie Newmar, but uh, Eartha Kitt. Then there's Patrick Warburton, who plays the dim-witted Kronk, Yzma's henchman. Uh, David Putty from Seinfeld, or my favorite, Brock Sampson from Venture Brothers. You'll recognize his voice. It's just very distinct. Putty. Yes. Uh, Wendy Malick. She plays Chicha, who is Pacha's pregnant wife. She was Nina in Just Shoot Me. She usually plays much more sarcastic, meaner characters. I'll throw out Tom Jones. He is theme song guy. I love that credit. Uh, If that name sounds familiar, it's because, probably because of Carlton from from Fresh Fresh Prince. It's not unusual. What's new, Pussycat? Things like that. Uh, Also, got to include Bob Bergen. He plays Bucky the Squirrel. Uh, Bob's a pretty versatile guy. He did a lot of voices for Disney, uh, the hyenas, one of the hyenas in Lion King. He plays Porky Pig, Tweety, and Marvin the Martian in Space Jam. Uh, Baby Tarzan does voice work in Lilo and Stitch. He's all over the place. 
And Patty Deutsch is a pretty good waitress. Yes. A very unenthusiastic, <laughs> fed up waitress. Yeah. <laughs> Mazeltov. That's all. That's everyone. <laughs> so David Spade, not who you would think to come in and do some voice work here in the Disney sphere, especially given that he's coming from, I would say, he's coming from, again, that sitcom slash Saturday Night Live, Tommy Boy. He's, he's, uh, he's sarcastic. He's a little more crass. And so to see, as a stand-up comedian too, he's, he's quite gifted. So uh, at this point, it seems like everybody does voice work now. Like, but at this point, I was surprised to see David Spade do this. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I I mean, I guess looking at this, though, I can't imagine them casting someone different because you've got this weaselly, selfish character, and that's what he does. David Spade always plays this selfish, self-centered guy. In the movie, he's in theory supposed to be 18. He's, we have a, David Spade's 35, but somehow it still works for me. Sarah, like, are you, do you wish they had gotten anybody younger there? No, I, I don't feel like his voice is sounds a certain age, so I don't really feel like it, it affected that. And like Chad said, I feel like it matched his other characters that he's done in the past, so it made sense. I know Chad's a big Barbara Streisand fan, so you might be sad to hear this. <laughs> um, the original choice for the part of Yzma was Barbara Streisand. Uh, y- Yentl is a classic. <laughs> So, uh, and Patrick Warburton, who played Kronk, and David Spade, actually uh, played Kuzco, both played the two main characters in the popular sitcom Rules of Engagement, yes. Uh, yes. which comes on in 2007 later. So this is before that, but their good chemistry there uh, perhaps was fostered in this this work together. I've not seen any of that show, to be honest with you. Yeah, we watched it. How did that go? It's. It, I wouldn't say it's a work of art, but... Yeah. I, it's it not was, highbrow humor. It was a watchable show. I mean, I mean it was a comic, a sitcom. Yeah. Am I wrong? David Spade's also in Just Shoot Me? Yes. Yes. Okay, that's the one that I think of for his sitcom work. Yeah, that was earlier, though. Okay. That was before Rules of Engagement. Yeah. So I have good memories of that. And so when I first saw this, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great show. And then I thought about it more closely. I was like, no, I've never <laughs> seen this one. So <laughs> yeah, It was fine. Yeah, it's it's watchable. So the scene where Pacha is carrying Cusco through the jungle, Pacha and Cusco discuss Cusco uh, having low blood sugar. This is an actual fun reference to David Spade, who in real life is hypoglycemic and poking fun of that. Uh, so, Sarah, uh, do you feel like Spade's character or personality, I should say, because we, we get to see him not only through these sitcoms, as we mentioned, but also through things like Tommy Boy, or through his stand-up comedy, uh, he's just a personality that comes on even commercials, and he's very sarcastic. Do you feel like the character was well-shaped around Spade, or do you feel like they just, this is Spade, he read the part, and he did it? Well, I don't I don't think that lots of people would have done it just the same, um, and you're more familiar with his stand-up comedy and all that stuff than I am. I honestly just know him from the sitcom world, which I know just makes you sad. But <laughs> um, but like Chad said, he in the, in the roles that I've seen him in in uh, the sitcom world, that is his his role. He's just all about himself and, you know, what can he do and how can he schmooze. And so it fits him. It I don't know that it was made for him, but like 
when they were writing it, but I think once they wrote it, they could see that it he would be the a good fit for it. I think in some ways how they animated him and his lean back nonchalant posture, oh, for sure. I think plays off this. Kind of mimics him. This is before the days of motion sensors where they put those little white dots on your face and capture everything you do, but I still think that this movie took a long time to make, as we'll get into. I think that they had David Spade on board throughout this process, and I think gradually as the process went on, you do see more of him seeping into the role. I don't know if that's fair, Chad. No, that's fair. I mean, you make the point of affecting his mannerisms, but another scene where the kids are playing... Or uh, Baby Cusco is crawling around and uh, one of the animators had three young children and insisted that he animate that scene of Baby Cusco because he wanted to capture his kids and specifically his, uh, his baby daughter in that scene. So he went home and he studied his kids and studied how they moved and then put that into the movie. So they probably watched David Spade and put a lot of his personality and his mannerisms into the character. I think I think Spades really shows up in a lot of parts there. I mean, also his sarcastic, I'm almost frustrated with this whole thing. Like, as they're going over a waterfall, he's like, there's a waterfall behind us, isn't there? Yep. Yep. And, <laughs> Sharp rocks at the bottom. Yep. Yep. Most likely. Bring it on. Yeah, that's that, <laughs> I, that's that sensibility that of his that I can't imagine that was just in the script from the get-go. No, no, you're right. He probably improvised a lot, and they probably leaned into his personality more. I think so. One of the things that's also surprising is Owen Wilson was originally going to do the voice of Pacha, and the role went to John Goodman later. Owen later gets to be Lightning McQueen in Cars and gets three movies and probably paid a lot more handsomely. <laughs> so, oh, sure. I mean, I think, I think it worked out okay for him. And also, apparently, your old daughter approves of Cars over large villagers. Ka-chow. <laughs> One last fun thing is Patch's name means Earth in the Incan language, and we're dealing with Incan characters. Disney, at this point, had done a good job of immersing you in uh, various cultures. Uh, again, ancient Greece through Hercules. Uh, Pocahontas, more very much so through the Native Americans. Yeah, Mulan, Aladdin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, Aladdin. Yeah, that's a good point, Aladdin. And Hunchback, for all of its missteps, it does put you in a place in time and in history. They don't really hammer that through here do they sarah no they don't um that was actually something chad and i kind of talked about after watching the movie it was like now what culture are they in again what was it incan was it mayan was it what was it and it kind of is it it never really is stated anywhere or made abundantly clear it kind of has winks and nods but never full out says this is incan yeah they say mesoamerican but That was a criticism of mine of so many of Disney's movies. The setting is one of the characters. I think of Lilo and Stitch. Hawaii is a huge character for it. You know, Agrabah and the setting for Aladdin, huge part of it. And this, it it felt like... It could happen anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it could have been anything. And That's a very valid criticism I hadn't thought about really until now, to be honest with you. It does not... uh, Disney sometimes derives jokes as well as plot points from the contextual time that they're in as well as their location and that's pretty enriching to help you escape this movie doesn't really help you escape in that way yeah beauty and the beast makes the joke of but hey we're french 
for like why they're being rude. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, uh, like, again, maybe it's that Looney Tunes. I'm going to draw that parallel a lot of times. Looney Tunes doesn't think much about where you are in time or place. No, You're... It's universal. Yeah. Oh, Pepe Le Pew is very French. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> he's French, but it doesn't mean he's in France. That's true. He'll, he'll, Isn't he'll, he in France? He'll harass that poor cat, uh, <laughs> poor female cat. Uh, which, by the way, I think the uh, I, in the Me Too era. Yeah, yeah that, that character is dead. Yeah, I don't know. How, I don't know how that plays today. Oh, it does not. <laughs> There's a disclaimer in front of all Pepe Le Pew cartoons. So another thing about you're talking about time and place that is the rendering style of this movie is also different. I think it's worth mentioning the how it's hand drawn is different than some of these predecessor movies that we had talked about. There's a lot less detail. Yes. Um, what are some other differences versus, say, am I wrong to say, like, Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, a lot of these ones that we were talking about from the 90s kind of visually look similar to each other? Yeah, I think there's more detail on the background and the, you know, the setting as in, like, the sunrise on the savannah for Lion King or um, the stained glass and beating the beast. You're not getting those beautiful setting and background. It, it's more cartoony with the Emperor's New Groove. It's more jagged isn't the word I'm looking for. Abstract. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, you know, the older ones are more design, whereas this is more focused on the humor of it and I think that's part of why they go a little bit more abstract because it's a little bit more off the wall and a little zanier and so they can they can put that into that artwork as well um so it, it's different it's not it, in less detail but it I don't think I think that was intentional I don't think that it's lack of design I yeah. think it's intentional I, I agree I think it certainly was on purpose but uh, its pace is faster, and they're not—they're mm -hmm. not—they're not drinking in the scenery, and that's part of why you guys are have rightfully are saying, "I don't feel like I'm in the Incan Empire at this point." Yeah, and the people are drawn differently too, aren't they, Chad? Yeah, I, I think so. Like Sarah mentioned, they're—they're they're a little less rounded. They're a little less chiseled in detail. It's more kind of like the Hercules urns, where they have those designs, those. Uh, black and orange type designs in Hercules when they're showing all the mosaics and the urns. Uh, the characters are very similar in that way. They're they're blockier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Cusco has this really long neck and doesn't look as human to begin with, like uh, even before he gets turned into a llama. Yzma is really exaggerated. And I mean, if you go back and look at it, whether it be Ariel or Gaston, even from Beauty and the Beast, these people look like people. For the most part, you know, sometimes would we say like Cruella DeVille might be one of the worst looking people like uh, on the far end of the extreme, like yeah, even even her. There are some people in my office that could easily play a Cruella DeVille. Yeesh. Wow. <laughs> uh, well, then I don't know that I want to work with her. But but, but yeah, Yzma, my immediate thought was there were scenes where she looked like a Chihuahua. Yeah, exactly. So Yzma is more extreme than almost any other Disney character rendering. You know, I'm going to exclude, like, Ursula because she's half squid or something like that. But, I mean, am I wrong in saying, like, Yzma is rendered in a very, very extreme manner? Well, I still 
I, even compared to, say, an Ursula that's a half squid, she she seems to have more fluidity to her than, say, Yzma would. Um, so, yeah, I think there's some validity to that. And again, I think it, it was intentional the way that they did that. They, they weren't looking for perfection. They were looking for twisting what they used to do and, and trying to not do the same old, same old. Because when they had been trying to do that the last couple iterations, it wasn't working. So let's try something new, whether it be artistic style or humor or what it is. Yeah, and again, I almost expect this to be from the Warner Brothers. Uh, A little bit, yeah. The Warner Brothers part of the world. It just doesn't seem like Disney. Yeah, I remember as a kid always being able to tell what was Disney because Disney had this distinct style. And Emperor's New Groove, it was one of those like, okay, was this Disney or was this another production studio? Because they kind of looked similar to all the others compared to that distinct Disney style that they had for so many years. Um, I always could tell right off the bat as a kid which one was which. Uh, Somebody else over here didn't quite have that eye all the time. No. No. You've been called out with your non-discerning <laughs> eyes, Chad. Yeah, I took her to Shark Tale. I was like, hey, all animated movies are the same. It's Disney. She likes Disney, so Shark Tale. That was Not one gone. of our first dates. <laughs> but yeah, I, I kind of feel like 22 Jump Street moments of, no, don't do anything different. Do the exact same thing. Disney knows things that work, and because kids keep coming along and they're new to the world... It's fresh for them every time, so it's easy to recapture them doing similar techniques over and over again. It's frequent that you'll have an orphaned character. It's frequent that you'll have talking friends that are animals. Mm. Uh, there's There will be music involved most of the time. There will be, uh, you know, hardship overcome. And, you know, there was always certainly going to be a happy ending as most. Usually you know. a dead mom. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. That's a big part of a, you know, Disney knows how to go to that. I mean, they know how to do it with other things, too. Even their live action things, they have a real strong ability to repackage. Uh, and in fairness, they don't just straight up remake most of the time. They don't just recycle and say, well, like, <laughs> now they do. <laughs> Until the live action phase, we oh, have lawns. <laughs> okay, okay. I was giving them credit. You're, you are right about that. I was going to say, they'll, they'll, they'll take their template and reapply it in new ways, which is good on them, but... No, you're absolutely right. These new movies that are uh, live-action films, uh, many of which are good, but they are just hitting them hard. They are bringing them out like every two months now. I can't imagine this as a candidate. We are not going to CGI a llama. You know what? If you get David Spade to. back... If you get David Spade back involved, I'd still see it. <laughs> and uh, so one question i got to ask is, Chad, I don't know if you got the chance to study much up on this one. Do you think some of the way the we keep saying it's different it's different it doesn't feel the same uh this movie goes through a very troubled creation process do you feel like how it made or the rocky road that it was made which we're about to talk about do you feel like that attributes to why this movie is different yeah there were there were parts it started out with this kind of cool bossa nova tune and it had the uh catchy phrasing they almost reminded me of uh, like charlotte's web where they're they're spinning these words you get despots and dis- dictators political manipulators and it's just this bold intro and then the music stops 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, when's the music going to come back? And it never does until the very, very end. So right there, you could tell they almost shifted tones. And the runtime itself, you can look at this movie. If it's not the shortest, it's one of the shortest uh, Disney movies. And I... It's under the 90 minute mark. Yeah, I think some of the trouble they had with getting this off the ground is reflected in the runtime. That That's fair. And I think it shows in a lot of ways, but at the same time, I, I think it's a testament to saving face at the end of this. It's a very troubled development process. The film began as early as 1994, which is really hard to believe. That's six years before the movie actually comes out. So you had Pocahontas in 95, as we mentioned, The Hunchback of Notre Dame in 96, and the lead team... Mark uh, Dendel is known for his ability to add comedic angles to his work, is brought in. They take a similar approach to Hercules in 1997. Uh, as Chad mentioned, if there is a movie that's similar to this, it's maybe Hercules and Lilo and Stitch for this more whimsical era, maybe. And uh, the film uh, was planned to have been an actual dramatic, serious movie, more more cut from the quilt of what you were talking about, Sarah, of these other movies that are... They're weighty. They're serious. They're, they're more like dramas, musical dramas almost. And this one was going to be called Kingdom of the Sun. And they had directors Roger Algiers, who actually did The Lion King, and Mark Dendel, who did Cats Don't Dance from 1997. And uh, they lined it up because they had had great success from Elton John and The Lion King. So they went and got Sting. And it's more than just the song at the end that was Oscar nominated. They wanted Sting for six original songs. There's no hint of that movie, uh, that serious nature movie, is there, Sarah? Uh, no. <laughs> um, I, it was totally re, reinvented. I, it, it's no longer the same movie anymore from what it was originally intended. And I think it was because uh, the executives didn't want to try to keep doing the same old, same old. They were finally trying to break out of that template a little bit. Um, because of the string of movies they'd had that were so unsuccessful um, between that great golden era and and the time when this was produced. No, that's a very good point, though. Uh, the film involved a tale that was the original story was supposed to have a tale of a greedy, selfish emperor named Manco, played by Spade, who finds a peasant, Owen Wilson in this case, who looks just like him. The emperor swaps places with the peasant to escape his boring life and have fun. Not so different from Jasmine and Aladdin. Is yeah. that yeah. yeah. And um, only switching places with somebody. And this, if this sounds familiar, it's essentially an Incan retelling of Mark Twain's The Prince and the Pauper. So Yzma Eartha Kitt plans to summon uh, Suple, the evil god of death. Again, this sounds like serious heavy disney that you know we got we got some darkness going on here they kind of do that later with princess and the frog and dr facilier like friends on the other side yeah so i mean yzma's more like your typical i'm a real bad guy like a captain hook or uh you yeah, know she's or hades the, she's the evil sorceress like maleficent or the evil queen yeah so discovering the switch between the prince and the peasant yzma actually looks to extort the real emperor who is a non-speaking llama by threatening to reveal their secret that they've that he's not really the real emperor and so he has to basically do her bidding it's an identity threat to have his identity exposed and so he has to obey her Uh, the resulting film though tested very poorly and uh, production was completely suspended based on the what i read having owen wilson david spade and this 
the storyline. Does that sound like a Disney movie you would want to see, Sarah? Yeah, possibly, but it's not the same movie. Like, it, you know, if I'm looking for something more comedic, then I want to see what was actually produced. But I love a good drama uh, musical, like you were saying. I mean, some of my favorite Disney movies are very dramatic. I, I, I keep saying Beauty and the Beast, but that there is a lot of drama in that. And, and one of my other favorites is actually Fox and the Hound. And I, I still to this day cry every day, every time. And I love a good, uh, definitely. I love a good cry. That is not a happy ending. (laughs) No, no, it's not. (laughs) That's your happy ending kids. But, but that's part of what I love about, uh, about some of the old movies is the old Disney classics is the weight of them is, I love a good cry or I love being hit over the head with these themes of, you know, dark versus light and good versus evil. And Chad is probably smirking next to me. There's that smirk. (laughs) Man, man, I like Lilo and Stitch where the biggest conflict is the fat guy keeps losing his ice cream. That is not the biggest conflict in that movie. That is. He just wants his ice cream cone. (laughs) So I I think I would have liked the original retell uh, the original telling of it, but you know sometimes stories need to evolve and they're not always what they were originally intended. Um, you know you were talking about this having a long development. As soon as I started reading about that, the first thing I thought of was Frozen's development. The first talk of doing Snow Queen, which was the original, was way back by S- Snow White's time. Really? Yes. Huh. Yes. I read it over to Chad, and it had iteration after iteration after iteration. It is not what the original movie was going to be. And it's still a great movie, but to see that have been shut down and restarted and shut down and restarted so many times, it's really interesting the way that it evolved from the original story. And this has some of that as well. You know, some sometimes there's reasons things are changed for better or for worse. Well, and they did change it because, like I said, audiences weren't responding well to the film, even though it was over 50% complete. You <laughs> you also can't have a character named Manko. I don't know if you have it in your notes, but uh, that's Japanese slang for uh, lady parts. So they had to change that name. Well, I didn't know that. So. <laughs> but anyway, the supervising animator, uh, Andreas Dea, along with David Alayers, I think it was. Yes. Yeah, David Allaire's and supervising animator Andreas Dea left the project at this point, and David Reynolds uh, completely overhauled the film, eventually throwing out Owen Wilson's character uh, and the Prince and the Pauper angle, and the compiled footage that they had at that point was canned. All but one of the Sting songs are canned. You'll notice the Sting song does not appear in the movie. It's just kind of tucked in at the end, and it doesn't fit the tone in that song, even though it's still there and gets Oscar-nominated. It doesn't feel right at the end of this, does it? No, and there, uh, Yzma's song, uh, Snuff Out the Light, like, it mentions plot points that are no longer relevant about summoning this evil deity. But I feel bad for Sting, man. Because <laughs> the opening song, they offered it to him, he's like, no, no, no. That, uh, you need a hip voice, you need someone younger than me, I'm 40 years old. And they're like, you know who's hip and who's young? Tom Jones. Let's get the guy doing What's New Pussycat. 
Sting had to be like, oh, come on. I'll come back to that one. <laughs> but as I mentioned, Mark Dendel was hired for more to add more comedic elements in the film because they wanted to get away from because people were responding, I'm not having fun with this. And so they tried a course correction out of that. But uh, David Allaire's asked for six more months of an extension. But Disney makes a lot of deals. So, you know, when your Happy Meals and your Coke sponsors and stuff say, your movie needs to happen now, it needs to happen now. And Alaris didn't get his time, so he quit the project. And uh, the film was brought to a very close to near shutdown. And as a result, the recording of the film that we have today was Mark Dendel working on a complete rebuild ground up. David Spade and Eartha Kitt's characters creating a new wackier film centered around Spade's talking llama and Yzma. So you have a reduced set of characters. Pacha was now a middle-aged man, and they brought in John Goodman. And Kronk was the was brought in to be more humor into it for comedic relief. And the pieces actually came into place pretty fast. So it's hard to believe after, you know, three years of spinning your wheels, this thing is put together actually pretty fast. It's yeah. amazing that this isn't a disaster. Yeah, I agree. Due to the troubled productions, one of Disney's executives stormed into the producer, placing his thumb and forefinger a quarter of an inch apart and remarking, your film is this close to being shut down. And uh, Fulmer approached Elias and informed him that uh, he needs to finish the film in the summer of 2000. It's gotta happen. So, hard deadline. And uh, sometimes when you have constraints, uh, great creativity and comes to the rescue. If anybody's interested in more detail on this one, there's actually a documentary called The Sweatbox, <laughs> and it's made by Sting's wife. And it was meant to be a documentary of just, hey, my husband's involved in this thing. I want to record the whole process and show how this thing gets made. And it kind of turned into a strange, dysfunctional, <laughs> this, look at this train wreck unravel. Yeah. You know, Sting didn't get the best deal out of this, as we, as, as we see. So Definitely not. Uh, there's a reason Disney doesn't push the sweat box, though. <laughs> so you mentioned before the tone of this movie is different, and Mark Dendel uh, is a large part of why they bring this. Sarah, can you describe the kind of humorous parts of this movie that is the trademark of this, and whether or not you liked it or not? <laughs> I really enjoyed the Kronk character. Um, he has a lot of deadpan jokes and just just kind of off the wall but still at the same time very timely are um, fitting for the tone of the entire movie and and I think he kind of displays the entire comedy there's a little bit in David Spade's character with the falling off the cliff like Chad had talked about earlier sarcasm yep, yep yeah but but Kronk is very just matter of fact and and I love that kind of humor. <laughs> that just is funny to me. I I find it hilarious. <laughs> it's very observational in this one. Like, why do we even have that lever? Comes up a couple of times. Oh, that's so good. It gets better each time. <laughs> they, they, they bring that. Uh, they bring that through callback of just like a lever that sends you down to a, a, a treacherous pit, and uh, yeah. and uh, you know, it's and it's right next to the, the lever that's your trapdoor to your secret lever uh, your secret layer yeah and yet it's everybody who's in this movie at least in this movie 
knows or has been in the secret player. <laughs> uh, again, that's a little bit of a fun meta humor there. Like they they want you to be in on those jokes. Yeah, they, and that reminded me of one of my favorite Kronk ones was what are the odds that trapdoor leads me out here and that's towards the end but yeah. it's just like what are the odds yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean there was some like classic Disney moments for me at the very end when the animal guards are chasing there's an octopus guard like that felt like old classic Disney I almost wonder if that was part of the original when they were retooling it but the scene where they're just shifting drinking whatever vial they can to see and gets turned into a whale for the Pinocchio flashback and things really pick up to their pace yeah. wise yeah. at the end again it has that looney tunes fast pace to it Isma to me i can see easily being like a an Elmer Fudd or a Yosemite Sam or a Marvin the Martian of like this i'm i'm out to destroy you but everything keeps backfiring in your face kind of thing yeah wily coyote Yes, yeah. You know, part of the fun is seeing her plans blow up in her face. There are some other good moments of humor. And again, there are some things that I like that Cusco doesn't like being touched by others. And he indicates, like, don't touch me. Like, no touchy, no touchy. Yeah. And these are these are moments that I start to see a little bit of spades seep into this. I could see him doing that with some of his other characters. He even says to Pacha at one point, bye bye oh. And that's mm-hmm. just... Like one of his trademark characters that he did from uh, the flight attendant, uh, jerk flight attendant from uh, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Um, and so. Oh, bad llama. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so mocking somebody, and he's he's uh, that, again that sensibility is a big part of this, and I I see where Mark Dendel worked off of Spade, and I don't think you have a successful movie without Spade. No. No, I don't. Probably not, no. Especially with what they were trying to do. Although, I, I hate to see Owen Wilson ushered out the door. He's a funny dude, too. Yeah, well, like you said, it worked out for him. Comedically, he is pretty different. Goodman Goodman pairs well with him. And so so certainly does uh, Kronk's uh, actor there, uh, Patrick Warburton. Yes. What do you think about the arc of the story of Cusco not trusting or I should say intending to intentionally backstab Pacha, it goes on for maybe one or two more go-rounds than you might think. They really go out of your way to show you that Cusco has some growing up to do. He's not actually a likable character, I would say, for three-quarters of this movie. Yeah, I think I think they just tried to punch that home over and over and over. And I think that's part of... You know, your your audience is children, so you got to make sure they completely understand what you're trying to teach them. And uh, so if you're going to just tell it to them once, they're not going to listen. Knowing from having a two-year-old, you tell her once and she's either not going to retain it or not going to obey the first time around. And so, you know, that's part of it. Did they go too far? Possibly. But it was like it's we said it's only a 90 minute movie they didn't have to draw it out that far <laughs> you know they if it had been longer they may have been punching it even more and that might have been even more detriment there were some things that i thought they included that maybe they didn't need to one thing i thought about was early in the movie they brought out of a row of suitors for for him and he was supposed to pick a wife and he didn't pick 
he didn't like any of them. They were he was too good for him. I always felt like that scene was just disjointed from the rest of it. So I felt like some of the stuff was just pushed that they, we were emphasizing that. He moves at one of the girls, doesn't he? I know I know this much. One of the dismissed, uh, uh, I guess they're not suitors, but one of the possible brides to be. Word. Yeah, one of the possible brides to be is, is angry at him and is coming at him and somebody has to hold her back. Yeah. Well, yeah. They, they cut some scenes where he was even meaner. I can't remember really? what he was going to do, but they basically said, well, we've crossed the line. <laughs> Dial back on the David Spade being a jerk. Well, one thing that they didn't have down very well was uh, Cusco uh, was going to finish the movie by building Custopia uh, on another hill, but by destroying the rainforest <laughs> near Pacha's home and then inviting his family to visit uh, at the at the uh, nearby rainforest uh, at the end of the movie, Sting actually was responsible for telling them, I don't want you to do that. He wrote them a letter and said, you do this and I'm resigning because it's exactly the opposite of everything I stand for. I've worked for 20 years trying to defend the rights of indigenous people and by just marching over them to build a theme park over their land as well as the rainforest, I will not be party to this was the rest of that quote. And uh, as a result, they ended up rewriting the end with Cusco instead of constructing Custopia, constructs a shack similar to Pacha's and he spends a vacation among the villagers. I'm glad Sting did this. How about you, Sarah? I don't know. If we had had the rainforest in there, that might have firmed up our Inca scenery. We might have known where we were. But you can't do Pocahontas and then like two movies later build a water park over a rainforest. (laughs) It's like you're singing about the colors of the wind. Whee! Rainforest destruction. Uh, I like a good water park. (laughs) They do like their amusement parks. I I hadn't considered that. (laughs) But you don't have to put them on rainforests. Put them in swamp them land in Florida. <laughs> One thing that was tried to link itself to the time, at which point doesn't come through, is Cusco is actually named after an ancient capital of the Incas. Cusco, uh, the city still exists in the Andes, is in southern Peru, and it, it's at elevation 11,200 feet, which I don't have the metric conversion for our international listeners, but that's up high. Yeah. Not really landing it, but uh, some of the wardrobe that they wear starts to give you a hint at the time period that we're in like with these uh what do you call them not tunics yeah tunics are fun poncho i was gonna say maybe with the Mm. uh like the llama that's like he was really excited that he was given this um, oh yeah yeah and the idol that uh, they spill out of and they're climbing over at the end of the movie yeah Uh, even even when they're tense when yzma and uh kronk are out camping they have those designs that are very reminiscent of an incan design so there were some attempts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. Uh, I didn't feel like we were in the rainforest, even in the forest scenes to some degree. No. Like, they talked about a jungle, yeah. I thought. In the in the opening scene, they talked about being in a jungle. There's panthers as well. Yeah. Out there. Jaguars, yeah. Yeah. There's also a chipmunk, which is something that you might more find in, you know, the northeastern Chipmunks woods. are appropriate anywhere. Yeah, chipmunks, squirrels. <laughs> I, I don't know if they're... In... They're probably indigenous to South America, too. This little fellow's had a rough day. <laughs> you know, one thing that uh, I don't know that they put this in there, but uh, I, when I actually was fortunate enough to travel to Peru uh, in eighth grade, my, my family and I went on a uh, school-led trip down to Peru, and they had these little tiny monkeys that are the size of squirrels. Like, they're about five inches tall, and they are adorable. 
they behave in a squirrel-like manner. So like they cluster in groups a little more than squirrels. But yeah, they'll peek out their little tiny monkey heads from behind trees and stuff like that, looking to pick up stuff. This, this does not sound great. Smarter squirrels sounds really annoying. It's adorable. I don't know what to tell you, but I mean, they might come up here and just be like, oh, wow, that chipmunk's really cute. So uh, I don't know. I didn't see any chipmunks in Peru is my point. So they uh, they went with a cute character anyway. So so the annual animation began and so the actual animation begins in 1999, pretty much five years into this process and 400 artists, 300 technicians and production personnel go into making this movie. So to Sarah's point earlier, a whole lot of people are involved when you make a movie of this type, and it's clearly more labor-intensive using oh, real animators. Definitely. Yeah. More labor-intensive, more money. Uh, the makers of the film originally wanted to get Sting to do the opening song, as Chad had mentioned, and he did correctly mention that Tom Jones was brought in to do the song. Sarah, did you like Tom Jones kicking the movie off at the beginning? I, I enjoyed it. I... I thought it was great and kind of what Chad was saying, I kind of wish they had continued weaving music throughout the rest of the movie. It started out with this great opening scene with some... Big number. Interesting. Yeah, it it was a big number and it had some interesting lyrics and, you know, kept me engaged, but then they didn't continue that. Like, you, you almost had this expectation of what, what the rest of the movie was going to be like and it didn't continue that way which kind of hurt it we have we have the word groove in the movie and there's no groove he's got his groove in the beginning but he does get it thrown off which yes is a punishable offense <laughs> <laughs> you're an old man tossed out a window definitely but, but it's okay it's not his the first time he's been tossed out a window he's a rebel <laughs> i like that old man it, it's interesting though I, i'm with you sarah i i'm it's a good point that you mentioned this. What are some other places where you would want to inject a song? Maybe Yzma needs a song to, like, when she rules? Oh, for sure. Like, either when she's ruling or when she's, you know, kind of devising her plan against Cusco or even a chase scene could oh, yeah. could have some good music. You mm-hmm. know, when she and Kronk are chasing Cusco. Um, the rain scene. I do love that little map graphic. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, but, but the rain scene, there's probably a uh, sad song to be sung while uh, the rain's just going over Cusco. Oh, good point. Yeah. This movie never goes, this movie actually pretty much never goes low for very long. No. Not long, no. David Spade brings it back up pretty quick usually when it hits those points. Yeah, yeah. So maybe not too, maybe they don't want to wallow there too long, but I definitely think some of the ones that Sarah was mentioning would be a really good idea with the. Uh, um, the chase scene yes. would be a really fun one. Uh, and maybe the scene while they're climbing up the mountain back to back, realizing that's kind of the turning point at which point mm-hmm. Cusco and Pacha realize they're going to have to work together, not because they choose to, but literally they're forced to. <laughs> and that might be a fun moment to see them kind of start to put it together. Yeah. There's certainly time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or okay. even like at the at the end, I mean, I know there was the Sting song at the end, but during the credits, but more a celebratory song at the end, because it always seems like a lot of the Disney movies have this big ending with a, a big song that this never has, too. So I think even an ending, even before the credits, you know, while they're 
enjoying Kustopia or not the non-Kustopia. You know, just those scenes, I think, could use that. I actually like Tom Jones to the point where he fit the tone yeah. of this. I I don't know that this would go over well with Sting and his wife who's making the <laughs> documentary of it, but I, I think a more conciliatory way of dealing with this would have been like, we promised you a movie where you would have creative control to basically put a musical together. I think I would have wanted that movie, and I think I would have shifted Sting off of this, pro- off of this project and ask for another go around another one or two of tom jones i'm okay with having a little tiny afro man with the sunglasses and the yeah. microphone come back on there maybe uh as a narrator to the story a musical yeah. narrator reminiscent um, of hercules yes yeah that would be very similar to that i still want Cusco to be the narrator but i think that if they were kind of like fighting for control of the narrator like going head to head i think that would be fun yeah. Like, hey, like I could see like him be like, hey, 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 enough. Let me tell the story. Like, and then like the guy gets off the screen, like yeah. reluctantly. Well, he stops the movie at several times and then he circles. He's like, what is going on here? This is about me. And he's circling himself. I actually like how he is absolutely despicable, not likable, but it's also amusing how over the top bad he is. And you kind of know as an adult that this is going to turn around. And so nobody's this Nobody's that cruel. It's definitely the line. And so uh, his bad behavior somehow seems a little bit funnier when it just comes from David Spade. And it's it's handled with a sense of lightness that you're like, you know, you know, this guy's going to get it together. To shake on it, you'd actually have to have hands. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I wouldn't want to make a deal with him. Mark Shaman was originally hired as the composer of the film, but the score was shelved and was completely replaced by another one from John uh, Debney. So, again, another time for me to just say, like, hey, Sting, this doesn't fit you. Like, let's not cut all your songs and totally give you uh, nothing to work with. Let's build you a new movie. Do something else. We're replacing you with the cooler, younger, hipper Tom Jones, who's actually 11 years older. That's That's a blow to your ego if you're Sting. And we've done, it's amazing, Sting finishes this movie, and the Retro Movie Roundtable has had Sting songs finish for Demolition Man, as well as Three Musketeers. Yes, Sting, Brian Adams, and Rod Stewart come from uh, come in to do a song in The Three Musketeers. That song's not good, by the way. <laughs> that does not sound good, Russell. It's not. Uh, I blame it more on Brian Adams than the other two. Oh, summer of 69, you take that back. I think Sting's the best of those three. So, <laughs> uh, Demolition Man was another one, and that's a weird re- recreation of a song that he had done before. And then uh, in this one, this is the best of the Sting songs, though, from Retro Movie Roundtable so far. And the Oscars agree. There you go, Sting. Oscar nomination and Retro Movie Roundtable nomination. I think Sting should come on the show. We've we've covered three of his movies. Yeah. <laughs> good luck with that we'll be watching you sting the police will reunite on this show next week (laughs) tune in reckless speculation i'm 99 percent sure of this (laughs) only the smallest room for margin of error so sarah this is a segment of the show we like to call look for this what kind of fun facts or things should you look out for in this movie i don't know about fun facts but I just love the scene with the rest in the restaurant. It just the timing of it and the 
way that characters interacted or lack of interaction just added to the comedy and it it's just a fun scene i had nightmares of that because the birthday song they sing i was a waiter and that's the same stupid song i would have to sing to people happy happy birthday yes (laughs) from the ihop crew we wish it was our birthday so we could party too hey but but, but yeah as far as the uh the restaurant the waitress mata uh that that's a new character but her name was originally supposed to be that mata name was cusco's love interest and she was cut Wow. So they huh. they re retooled the character into the into a this, five minute this Wow, she this got jipped almost as bad as Sting. Yeah. Almost. This happened frequently. I mean I'm gonna mispronounce this. I'm sorry to anyone of Incan descent that's around, but uh Hakua, I guess, the original sidekick for Yzma. I'll buy it. Uh he got cut entirely except for one scene. It's the dinner scene when he's seen holding a candle in the background. So that's like the one or two frames of this cut character that was going to be a major part of this story. I've got a couple of ones, but uh, one of the ones I definitely want to point out is uh, when Tipo, the boy of uh, Pacha, is entertaining Yzma and he says, you know, I don't believe that you're my great aunt. You're more like my great, 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 great. And then like the scene cuts yeah. away and it comes back to him and saying great, 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 great aunt. That's 20. That's 23 greats. Wow. <laughs> so... And it, it's only making her angrier and angrier. And again, that's this. I love. I love the humor of that. It's so funny. Um, and that that seems cracking me up already. And this does a good job of building those laughs or stacking laughs on laughs. Uh, it, when again, the restaurant scene does it, or the scene where they're at the home and Isma's trying to deceive them and they're not having it. Uh, the the finale, as uh, you know, she's turned. Isma gets turned into a cat, and you have like these. Uh, henchmen animals coming after them this movie does a really good job of slowing it down setting it up and then going through these big bursts of laughs yeah um i'm gonna throw in some history so this this accidentally got one thing right the incan empire actually did have uh rest stops or like little restaurant type areas not like the greasy spoon but it had those rest stops along its roads so they it was probably by sheer coincidence, but they got that right. And if you complain to the chef, I'm sure they'll feel bad and just pack up and leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Throw conk, conk under the, yeah. behind the counter. That whole David Spade like cross dressing Cusco, and it's like bless you for going out in public. <laughs> <laughs> um, one that I want to point out that is worth noting: uh, Pacha's wife, as Chad mentioned, is pregnant. And according to the DVD commentary, this is Disney's first feature animated movie to show a pregnant woman. So Really? Yeah. Most of the time the mom's dead. That's true, but she could have died in labor in one of those dark Disney movies. We've had a pregnant Dalmatian before. Oh. True. There we go. 101 puppies. There's where my confusion lies. (laughs) Another really fun line. It's mentioned lions and tigers and bear when they're coming upon, uh, uh, when they're trying to come up with potions for humans. And after going through the lions, tigers, and bears potion, Yzma says, oh my. (laughs) So uh, if you're able to put the sight with the sound on that one, fun tip of the hat to Wizard of Oz. It's my favorite time of the show, Chad. What time is that? Movie superlatives time. That's right. Sarah, are you ready to help us hand some awards out? I can try. Why don't you kick us off with your MVP of The Emperor's New Groove? 
I love Kronk. Um, <laughs> Patrick Warburton. It's like my... I, I just love his humor in general. And so he's just my favorite in the movie, for sure. Have you done the sequel to this movie, uh, Kronk's New Groove? I have not. Or the I TV need... show, The Emperor's New School. I haven't actually done that. I'm a little bit curious. I'm surprised I haven't because I love this movie so much. But it is on Netflix, I noticed. So. Yeah, it's not bad. Oh, you've, you've seen the sequel? I've seen the TV series. Oh, the TV series. Okay. And uh, Chad, MVP. Yep. Patrick Warburton is Kronk. Uh, he's a scene-stealing character. And even with things like the jump roping with Yzma, which is just a ridiculous scene, and she's describing this evil plot. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. But I've still got 94 monkeys to go. <laughs> I just love the things of just the simpleton in him. I love the angel demon on, yes. on his shoulders. Yes. And uh, she's like, and I didn't like your souffle. And she's like, oh, she's toast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so as much as I love Patrick Warburton, and I may have more on him, the MVP for me, I, I have to go with David Spade on this one. And it might be my uh, Saturday Night Live fandom coming through. But I, I, I think it's more than that. Uh, his sensibility to me helped shape this into a, a fun animated movie that's unlike any other Disney movie, unlike really any other movie other than, again, maybe a Looney Tunes effort. And so I really like that. And we're seeing a lot less of that by the year 2000. And we've seen almost nothing like that now. I, I really want to credit David Spade with his sensibilities and his character that seeps into this character uh, and into the movie in general. So without him, I think we would have had a train wreck. Sarah, who's your best supporting actor? Am I allowed to say Patrick Warburton again? <laughs> it's a small cast, so... I, I, I mean, I, he's a supporting actor in the lie. role. That, that is true. <laughs> That's an unusual one. Normally, normally you just go right on down the list and find know, your next favorite. But, I'm sorry. He can't. He can't win Hidden Gem now. Just putting it out there. Yeah, I was gonna say. No, I, he's not. Okay. Okay. Patrick Warburton, a, a rare second go around. You know, Fry's not here to totally corrupt the rules, and like he's just like, who's who's your number one actor? I've got five. five. <laughs> And I'm going to give them to you now. <laughs> and if I were remaking this movie today, not what I asked. Hey, our guest isn't pushing, so we've gotten a lot of guest pushes. That's true. That's true. Chad, who is your best supporting actor? Eartha Kitt. Uh, I really thought she brought out a, a nice, raspy, slimy tone to Yzma. Uh, she just gives her this uh, visceral quality that you don't like from the very get-go. She has that great line of, uh, you shouldn't, uh, what was it you wanted again? Uh, food. Ha! That's what, should have thought about that before you became a peasant. <laughs> Just the way she delivers that is great. I particularly like it when she wakes up in the middle of the night and uh, Kronk is waking her and she's got the green facial mask on and the cucumbers over the eyes and yeah. she wakes up and like sits up and they do a zoomed in close up shot almost a la Ren and Stimpy yes. and they make her look absolutely unappealing and like Kronk's like ah! <laughs> <laughs> they, they do that again later on uh, when Yzma's hiking up her dress yeah. and you have the kind of adult humor that you're realizing oh they're horrified of one thing and she pulls out a knife and everyone's relieved. <laughs> and all the adults are like, ha! Ah! All the kids are like, what? This is bad? Yes, that is... That is Again, I love that. That's, I can't believe they went there with this movie. Uh, and for me, I'm going to go Best Supporting Actor, Patrick Warburton. Uh, I, I enjoyed him and his talking to chipmunks and his yes. 
enthusiasm for cooking and his big heart that he has when he can't actually dispose of Kuzma, Cusco, sorry, Cusco, uh, when, when he needs to. So Sarah, who is your hidden gem? So I loved Pacha's children, Chaka and Tipo. Uh, they're just, they, in the scenes that they're in, which is very few, but in the scenes that they're in, they really help drive the humor. And they also help you feel for Pacha a little bit more than any of the other scenes do. You know, you, you see where he's conflicted and you don't really get a lot of that emotion elsewhere in the movie. And so he, they bring that out, but they also, when they're kind of delaying Yisma and Kronk, they, they're so humorous and it, and, and it's the way three four or five year olds are, I have one. And they're just the things they say are hilarious and and they know more they don't than hold you, back. they don't hold back and they know more than you think they know yeah until it comes out of their mouth and you're like oh so you get what's going on and i really felt like these kids got what was going on and they were in on it and i i i loved that yeah and so it's Kellyanne Kelso who does the voice of Chacha and Ellie Russell Lynette's. Lynette's does <laughs> Tipo. So female voice playing young male character. Pretty normal for the animated world. Good job from both Kellyanne and Ellie there. So uh, Chad, you're relentlessly hard on young actors, but perhaps voice work. What do you think about adult uh, women playing these characters? Do you like them? I had written in my notes at one point in this this didn't, so this will still be a surprise when we get to this superlative. Kids are annoying things to cut. Oh. But uh, it was during that, yaha, nah, yaha, in the bunk bed, and I'm just like, oh, I don't like these kids. Go away. The wife was very capable, and she was fun, and she was crafty, but the kids were just, yeah. Sarah and I shake our heads and wag our fingers <laughs> at you on that one. I'm with Sarah on this one, though. But my hidden gem is going to go a little bit deeper, and I'm going for John Fiedler, who plays the old man who who initially throws off the new groove of Cusco in the palace by just simply existing and walking along there and getting backed into. And uh, I like how apologetic he is. No, no, it's my fault. I I threw off his groove. Beware the groove. Groove. And he does come back at the end, and I like that moment where, again, it does make you feel good. You see how terrible Cusco was to this old man, but at the end, he's uh, he's actually quite fond of him. And he's like, oh, it's not the first time I've been thrown out of a building, and it won't be the last. <laughs> so, uh, recast, Sarah, if you had to replace somebody in this movie, who would it be? And who might you put in their place? Okay, so the cast is very, very small. So... I had a really hard time picking somebody, um, but I'm going to go with the mom, Chicha, who's played by Wendy Malick. And I also had a hard time trying to think of somebody else that would fit in that role. Mm -hmm. This is somebody a little bit more contemporary than um, that time period, but I'm still going to say it because it's the only person I can think of. Um, And it's Rainbow Johnson from Blackish. I feel like she would have some of that humor and be able to maybe put a little bit more into it. Add uh, a little. A little. Yeah. You don't need a lot. but and, and, I, and I really think that, you know, it really didn't need recasted. I just was forced into that question. It is. It's, it's, <laughs> and, and I think you have such a small set of characters. They were cutting people out of this movie left and right. Right. Yeah. As a function, short runtime, short cast, 
they didn't have time to write music for it, unfortunately. I think they probably would have put more in there, as you mentioned, but small cast. Again, trying to cut everything down to the essential just to get this thing made and out for the summer of 2000 so Coca-Cola and McDonald's can have their Happy Meal toys. Oh, yes. Uh, Chad, uh, who is your recast? I'm recasting John Goodman as Pacha. Uh, Wow. Yeah, I saw Monsters, Inc. first, and I cannot get Sully out of my head. And so when I hear his voice in Pacha, it's just a huge disconnect for for me. I don't like it. So So you don't like reusing voice actors then, huh? (laughs) John Ratzenberger is different, though. I love the end joke of Cars where he's watching all the Pixar films, and he starts off with, like, hey, this guy's great. Oh, I like that actor. And then he goes, wait a minute. They're just reusing the same guy. <laughs> but but no, I think I'm going with like uh, Lucky Yates. He does the voice of Krieger on Archer. Uh, or maybe even like a Chevy Chase or someone like that, Dan Aykroyd. Just not John Goodman. Wow, okay. So I'm going to recast Sting. As I mentioned before. <laughs> As everyone did. Yeah. I, I actually think that it got to the point where it was just sad for Sting. <laughs> the song doesn't fit. It is an appendage. It's a fine song. And I think that they should have probably taken that song and rewritten some lyrics and, you know, got him got him his due. I want to see Sting get a six-song movie. Yeah. I mean, Elton got his and it turned out great. I think Sting had a good musical in him. And we 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 won't get to see it. On the other hand, Tom Jones just hit the tones of this movie. It's this isn't about a great touching number. The cheese that is Tom Jones somehow fits the goofiness of this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, small cast, hard to recast. But sorry, Sting. <laughs> Way to fix the ending though, and not deforest the rainforest. <laughs> I do appreciate that. Best shot, Sarah. So I, this was fairly early, but I enjoyed the scenery in when, when Pacho was leaving the palace right after he originally met Cusco. Um, it was a very long journey home and there was, that was one of the few moments where there was a little bit more detail in the scenery and because it was focusing on Pacha being really sad. And so that was the one beautiful moment I felt like I could get those feels. point to. Yeah. Yeah. That probably is one of the moments. They don't linger there, though. No, no. Chad, best shot. I like when they're going through color contrasting scenes, and this happened twice. There's a black and red scene uh, with Yzma in her lab where she's describing what she'll do to Kuzco. The secret lab that everybody knows about. Yes, it's very beautiful. Same with uh, the jaguar in the jungle chase scene. Mm -hmm. The colors shift, and there's just great contrast there, but the artwork almost gets more simple it's it's very just almost cut out and it's beautiful to look at yeah uh my best shot is when Cusco and pacha fall through the bridge and they must stand back to back or else they will fall below into the alligators just the image of them in that situation it's a physical situation that's in a, a metaphor for the relationship that they have at this point they really do need each other and uh, i like that that moment where they're penned there. That to me is one of the images of the movie. <laughs> it's a good thing. You're not a big fat guy or this would be real difficult. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great spadeism. 
I mean, uh, I can so see him saying that to Chris Farley <laughs> in a yes, similar situation. Very just, much so. I can see Chris Farley like <laughs> squishing him. He's like, oh, it's a good thing you're not a big fat guy. Best scene, Sarah. I kind of already mentioned this, but the restaurant scene and just the way that they use all sorts of different humor in the, in the revolving door. You know, so Yzma's talking to Kronk and then Cusco's talking to Kronk and it just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning. And, and the humor that Kronk puts into that whole scene is just, I love it. This is mine as well. I, I, I'm with you. Yeah. The crossing of paths between Cusco and Pacha uh, meeting up accidentally or almost meeting Yzma and Kronk provides a lot of good humor. You know, Cusco walks in the kitchen, complains, and then Kronk goes back there to make one kind of comment, and then that's the last straw. Yeah. <laughs> he can't believe it. Like, he's just packing up. He's like, what did I say? What's wrong? And then and the next thing you know, he ends up cooking, and because he's a big olf and he just uh, wants to make everybody happy, <laughs> he just starts cooking and taking orders, and then... As Sarah mentioned, they go through the revolving door and David Spade and Eartha Kitt's characters are just going in and out and crisscrossing. How do they not see each other? It's, it's, it's so fun. Kind of harkens back to like a Charlie Chaplin type movie. Yeah. A silent film. Definitely. And some sitcoms. But it ends perfectly, too. They walk out of the restaurant and Yzma is still wearing that sombrero. Yes. <laughs> I, the birthday that's not her birthday. Yes. Yes. I'm just like, I didn't know it was your birthday. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh this is a this is probably one of the best examples of laughs stacking on laughs and once they get you laughing they keep you laughing. That's that's actually a pretty fun thing to experience in any movie animated or just a regular comedy. So uh, this to me elevates it just out of like family elevated thing and goes full blown. I'm enjoying watching this. Yeah. On my own as a guy in my 30s. So Chad, what's your best scene? Same one, the restaurant scene. For all the reasons that we've covered, it's just great. Yeah. It is a clean sweep for the best scene. Change one thing, Sarah. I kind of talked about this already, but just the more music. It starts out so great. I just thought that, you know, it needed to continue and it might have extended the runtime a little bit too. So that would have been helpful as well. Yeah. Chat? I want the music back, particularly the villain song. Do you want the Sting music or the Tom Jones music? I want all the music, but yes, the, <laughs> particularly snuff out the light. I I want that just wonderful villain song we've talked about. Be prepared. Uh, Frollo's song is the best in uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, just are there any good songs in Hunchback of Notre Dame? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, there are. The movie's the, not that. I'm great, relentlessly but... hard on that movie. Sorry. <laughs> the the villain songs are traditionally the best ones. Friends on the other side for. Princess and the Frog, so that's Chad what I want. Chad loves his villains. These are great, great songs, although Almost There from Princess and the Frog is great, too. This is also talking about the man who's convincing our daughter Darth Vader is the hero of the movie. She so. cheers for him now. <laughs> the Empire did nothing wrong. Oh, man. We're going to have to have a... I'm concerned. I'm concerned. Okay. She's going to be so disappointed when Darth Vader force chokes his first guy. She's going to be like, wait, what is the good guy doing? Yeah, and Chad's sitting there with confetti going like, yay! (laughs) See, he can do that without actually touching him. Um, I hope she's going to go around force choking people. I'm squishing your head. I'm squishing your head. A four-year-old just threatening people. Inject a little more music is... I hadn't. I came in with something else, but that when you said it earlier, Sarah, that that takes it for me. 
yeah the tom jones stuff is fun i want fun music in this along the way yeah why not i don't need big epic long sweeping ones i'm not asking for part of your world or um you know you can put one of those in there that's okay yeah well (laughs) i i I don't know but give me an akuna matata like (laughs) I, i need something i need something fun in the middle of this movie and i definitely want something triumphant at the end and i do like the idea of Isma's new policy, like, I'm going to make a couple of changes around here. And if you thought Cusco was bad, we see how mean Isma gets. I think that would be a really fun scene to add. Yeah. And so that was kind of, I kind of merged two of mine. I wanted to see just how bad Isma is when she <laughs> takes over the throne. So, but more music. Best quote of the movie, Sarah. <laughs> mine was one more for exotic bird bingo. <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Delivered by Croc. And Chet? Another Kronk quote for me, in my defense, your poisons all look alike. <laughs> you might think about relabeling them. Yzma <laughs> uh, and Kronk have so much good dialogue. There's really a lot of good choices to choose from on this one. And mine might not be the most popular one, but something that just made me laugh really hard in the middle of that restaurant scene is Yzma's uh, like, why didn't I do away with Cusco when I had the chance? Uh, she's basically implying that Kronk failed her. And uh, Kronk then goes, ah, you really gotta stop beating yourself up about that. <laughs> this is not good. Hope that doesn't come back to haunt me. He's got so many great ones. Like, like, hey, Kronk, how did you beat us here? He's like, well, you got me. By all accounts, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yes! Yes, the map doesn't... The map does not reinforce that at all, and then all of a sudden it just happens that way. Oh, that's great. I do like the minion animals, though, who turn into, uh, like... Hey, I've been turned into a cow. Can I go home? (laughs) Yes, you're excused. Anyone else? Nope. We're good. (laughs) The the minion animals I wish had been around just a little bit longer. Absolutely, yeah. The, uh... I like how they foolishly jump to their death. Like, by, like, jumping in, like, a visibly huge, like, pit that has no bottom. And they're just like, nobody lives forever! Come on, man! (laughs) (laughs) So many good lines. Sarah, thank you for coming on. No problem. But... This is the moment of truth. Five star scale. Half integers. What would you rank 2000's The Emperor's New Groove? Chad thinks I'm a harsh critic most of the time, so I I think that most will not agree with me. But I would probably say 3.5. I, I steer towards the middle a lot of times with these sorts of things. So it was good. It wasn't a great cinematic movie, but it... It was enjoyable. That's that's fair. So you're saying it's a good movie. Chad? Three stars for me. It's For me, it's about the middle of the road for Disney's library. It's still a fun time. It can't compare with the epics like Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast. It's not as bad as something like Brother Bear. Uh, I, I actually don't enjoy Jungle Book either. But... Uh, so You're it's harsh on Jungle Book. Yeah, it's it's not fun. <laughs> I'm not a Baloo fan, but so three out of five. It with music, it could get up to probably a four. Hmm, interesting. I'm definitely bigger on this movie than you guys, uh, and I'm gonna go with a four point five. Oh wow! This is one wow. of my favorite Disney movies. It's not at the tippy top. It's not it's not Aladdin or The Lion King. And I don't think Toy Story kind of gets put in a different category almost. It's Pixar. In the Pixar set of things. But it's in my top five. And oh, I, wow. Yeah. And I do recognize that it needs the music in there to fill this out to make it to make it stronger. And now that you mention it, the texture 
of the, the context of the history would be fun to inject a little bit of learning in there too for for people so uh from the incan empire uh so i'm not giving it a five but this one makes me really happy and it's really fun to return to and i have enjoyed returning to it uh and i'm really glad we got to do this because it has held up remarkably well i look forward to showing this one to my little one which will be arriving soon although they'll need to get considerably older to be able to digest <laughs> media content so uh so at any rate uh 4.5 for me I, it's just so many things make me laugh hard in this movie like the home alone sequence where they put the booby trap them and yzma tells them to knock down the door and he's like oh this is this is a mahogany carp door. <laughs> so i this, had that one written down too this is really nice and then she's like i'll break it down myself and then they open the door up and she goes flying down the hill she gets hit by feathers and honey and bees and, and, and the mariachi band starts the, playing yeah and then she ends up stuck on a pinata pole and then yeah. everybody starts whacking her very animatedly <laughs> i mean again this is not stuff that i expect to see from disney and because it's so unique uh it it hit all the right notes for me i love all those other movies that they did i like what they went to with the pixar thing this is a frustrating era for disney and to me emperor's new groove and hercules are two that you're not going to see in other movies like that before or after, and I'm glad they made those two. So. Very good. Yeah. Chad, I think you got to help me pick a movie for next time. I need help, man. All right. I'm ready. Option number one, Braveheart. When a secret bride is executed for assaulting an English soldier who tried to rape her, William Wallace begins a revolt against King Edward I of England. Uh, option number two, Dumb and Dumber from 1994. A cross-country adventure of two good-hearted but incredibly stupid friends. Option three, Forrest Gump from 1994. The presidencies of Kennedy and Johnson and the events of the Vietnam War, Watergate, and other historical events unfold through the perspective of an Alabama man with an IQ of 75. What a random collection of movies. Okay. Uh, well. There was a lot of thought put into this one, believe it or not. Very, very well. I don't think you can take my freedom, but we can take on Braveheart. Braveheart it is. Thank you once again, Sarah. This has been a lot of fun. No problem. Thank you for having me. And uh, Chad, I'm glad you found somebody on such short notice to come in. <laughs> yeah, it, it was really, really tough. I had to search like one floor of my house. You were very knowledgeable considering you were only given 10 seconds notice before this podcast. I know my Disney. And thank you you all for listening remember lords ladies and knights the retro movie roundtable we invite you to reach out to us we want to hear from you subscribe rate and review on itunes spotify stitcher wherever you get your podcast give us a like on facebook email the show at retro movie roundtable at yahoo.com if you want to go into more depth or you want to be on the show as always thank you for listening be good to each other and watch more movies chad we'll throw it back to the old viral video days made me think of this movie a lot Here's a llama, there's a llama, and another little llama. Fuzzy llama, funny llama, 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 duck.